Hello and welcome to our very first episode of our brand new Star Trek podcast, Long Range Sensors. The show where we choose an episode from the vast library of Star Trek to reminisce about and nerd over. Today on Long Range Sensors, we're picking up an episode in the far reaches of the Delta Quadrant. The Star Trek Voyager episode, Threshold. But that's still yet to come later on in the show. Because right now, with this being our inaugural episode, we're going to stick to our short range sensors and give you an opportunity to get to know us a bit better. My name's Alastair McFly. As you might be able to tell, I'm British, but for the last seven years, I've been living out on the east coast of Canada over in Nova Scotia. I stream regularly on Twitch, where you'll find me playing a bunch of games, including some old Star Trek classics. And I'm also writing an unofficial getting started guide for people who are new to Star Trek to help them navigate over 50 years of the final frontier. Joining me from all the way over in London, England, is my fellow co-host and good friend of over a decade. Some of you might recognize him as one of the hosts of Console Shock, the fantastic fortnightly podcast about modern and retro gaming chat. Ladies and gentlemen and co-genitors, it is with great pleasure that I get to introduce to you the debonair, Mr. Trevor Whale. Hello. Hello, Al. Hello. <laughs> it's been a long time coming, isn't it? With, uh, you know, with how, for how many years we've talked about, um, you know, doing some kind of a Trek-based chat that we record. Uh, well, well, podcasts, as, as, as that's called. Yeah, I want to say it was about 2009, 2010 is really when that started. Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, when we, we, you know, I think you put out a bit of our history on our various social stuff we've set up for this, so we don't want to sort of you know go crazy on that on this on this show. But um, yeah, obviously we knew fairly early on that we both liked Star Trek and we're chatting a lot about it, and we just felt that um, based on other people telling us that who heard us talk to each other about this stuff at work because we work together, um, that we should record it and put it out for people, other people to listen to because people would probably like it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, now we're finally doing it. Uh, well, we've done it before, funnily enough, but um, this is the, probably the first real stab at it, you know, certainly for a Star Trek, something purely Star Trek focused, isn't it? Yeah, we, we, we kind of did a very early sort of test, almost just testing the waters yeah. that we'd actually work well doing a podcast together. And we yes. the, for the test, we used Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah, I, I don't know what our full-on plan was ultimately to go with that. And, and we just literally... It was in my flat at the time, wasn't it? You came mm. over and um, I just had like, my MacBook Pro, I think. We just plonked it in front of us. I don't think we had any proper audio equipment. We, we did just not. just used no. the microphone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, it's, I've still got it. Um, so maybe that's something we could throw out there when we really want to be embarrassed. But um, yeah, we just talked about it, didn't we? Um, it, was, it was fun. But um, yeah, we kind of ended up going on to do other things. And um, we did end up doing other, you know, online sort of bloggy video bloggy and audio bloggy stuff um but didn't quite sort of stick to the star trek formula and um it wasn't because we didn't want to do it or we thought our test failed um it, i don't know it just didn't happen did it really no we we, we had other focuses and uh, and things but uh, now we're kind of returning to our roots and it's like now now is it's time and i i think the other thing is that star trek was kind of was reaching the end of its golden age in terms of popularity yeah. and just you know you know shows were dwindling 
now it's yes. on a bit more of a rebirth with uh, with CBS really pushing a lot of new Star Trek properties. So it's it's really an exciting time to get back into it. In all honesty, yeah, I, I guess when like sort of two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when we did that sort of pilot, I suppose um, it was kind of um, it, we'd just come out of maybe I, I would probably say we just come out of like a dark age because uh, the, the first JJ film had come out, um, but there wasn't any real hint of a new TV show. Obviously, that wouldn't happen mm. until you know Discovery um, several years later. So. Um, we were probably just thinking the best we were going to get then is another film, and we did ultimately. Um, and we actually went to see it together, didn't we? Uh, Into Darkness, like uh, midnight mm. when it came out, we went crazy on that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I probably would consider it to be sort of, sort of you know, the end of a of, of a dark age and the start of kind of a mediocre age. I don't mean that in the quality of what we were, had available, the JJ stuff. I'm sure we'll touch touch upon that, you know, sometime in the future on the show. But um, um, we, we certainly isn't where we are probably well right now, you know, where maybe it's kind of, I don't know if it is a golden age, but maybe it's kind of a silver age because we've got a lot of shows on the go. It's not quite like it was in the 90s where every week there'd be a new episode for you know nine months of the year because the way TV shows are now kind of a finite set of episodes and not 26 really like clockwork mm. like they used to be, right? Um, and that and that and a movie every couple of years, which is absolutely, we just completely took that stuff for granted, didn't we, in those days. Um, we're, we're not, we're, so we're, we're as close as we ever have been to that kind of level, really. Um, so, yeah, um, it's a good time to sort of talk about Star Trek again now, I think. Yeah, especially kind of looking back as to, you know, not just how it is now, because obviously a lot of people are talking about how Star Trek is now, but yeah. how it was when it first came out, because when I, when I certainly think back to my experiences of watching Star Trek The Next Generation as a kid and just the feeling of things, especially in the early seasons where the style was still slightly different to what appeared later on. And yeah, when it was all yeah. fresh and new and when there hadn't been anything really quite like it, it was still a very different experience to what it is now. And, yeah. Uh, it's kind of an experience you can't really recapture in a way. Not in a bad way, because obviously there's been great things since, but it's still, it was a unique point in time. Yeah, and it was like, um, yeah, we were sort of looking at our, our history about it. Obviously, we were young kids when um, the next generation started, and and not just that, but being in the UK, we have a very different experience to what perhaps you know um, um, our fellow sort of Trek YouTubers that are American would have, where like, <clears throat> like Star Trek: The Next Generation for them started on that precise date in September in 1987. Um, but for us, um, unless you knew someone, you know, obviously you know, I would have been like, a, I was like a four-year-old kid on that on that exact day that that, that it started, um, and I didn't really start watching Star Trek until uh, my first memories of it are my dad watching the reruns of the original series on okay. BBC Two. Um, so that was around <laughs> yeah, nineteen eighty-eight, eighty-nine, and looking at sort of Memory Alpha and um, a website we're probably going to talk about a lot. I was like, it's an awesome, the best like Trek website ever, um, apart from ours. Um, is <laughs> yeah, looking at when they reran it, there was actually I, I saw there was a, a, a rerun in the eight, in the late eighties. So that was that would have been when I saw it for the first time ever. Um, mm. I think my dad was just watching it for his own benefit because he was a Trekkie. Uh, from back when it started on the BBC tour originally in 1969, I think. Um, so he's totally OG sort of Trekkie. Um, and he was re-watching it, you know, in the late 80s. Obviously, Trek was back, you know, in everybody's consciousness because, you know, the mm -hmm. movies have been doing well, the original series movies and 
I think there was already there was obviously the, there was a next generation. If you picked up in those days, you'd have to have picked up the movie magazines and Starlog, which we did get over in the UK. Mm. Starlog ma- magazine and things like that. Empire magazine, even that's mainly films. It would do TV show bits as well. You would see that there was an, a new Star Trek show in that. Um, so it was it was ramping up like massively. But I remember obviously watching Star Trek when I was this is about five years old and, and liking it. Um, and then it was really in bits and pieces we would get it really. Um, like I remember, like the, like the facts are that it started on RTV in September 1990, which is crazy, isn't it? I mean, mm. Al, where was it? Where was it at in the US at that point? I mean, they, they would have been they just starting season three, really. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, uh, and for me, I I kind of I, I do think back and I wonder. Would I have been as into it if I'd seen it in 87 when I was so young? I think having that extra two years to reach an age where I could fully appreciate it, I think I enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. You know, I still would have been blown away by it, but I, I think I was able to appreciate it and understand it at a much better level, um, certainly for the next generation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, again, got it in like bits and pieces because I, I, I'd already seen the, um, so I was already probably, I would say, an actual proper fan by like about 1989. Um, and um, obviously we still hadn't had Next Generation on TV in the UK then. Um, again, you would need to know someone in the US to have taped it for you and, you know, shipped it over to you, which, you know, I'm sure people did, but we certainly didn't. Um, and my experience of Trek was the reruns of the original and probably more the movies than anything, actually, funnily enough. My dad, hmm. we had one, he had, for some reason, he just had Star Trek 3 on VHS. That was the only one he made a point of buying. I mean, VHS decks weren't cheap, you know, in, for inflation, like a oh, movie. No. Well, probably about 30 quid now, probably. It was like eleven hmm. ninety nine or something, wasn't it? In Woolworths or wherever you went to buy your videos. Um, but that was probably about 30 quid now. So it's not something you could always just casually buy, you know. Um, but he had one. He had Star. We had Star Trek three, and, and that was the first Star Trek film I watched, which is kind of odd because obviously it's you'd think it'd be difficult to enjoy it because you kind of need to watch two because it goes directly onto it. But I watched it on on VHS, and I absolutely watched the crap out of it. I watched it and rewatched <laughs> it and rewatched it. I loved it. I don't know what it was. I just loved it. It's still a great Star Trek film to these to, uh, to this day. I mean, I'm not going to review it. We'll get to a sh- an episode where we will, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah, that must have been weird though. Kind of growing up, and it's like so. Um, <laughs> spoilers. Uh, so Spock's yeah. dead, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you'd be like, but "Who's Spock?" <laughs> yeah, I think because I, 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 having seen like the like catching bits of the reruns, I, I knew there was a Spock person and a Captain right. Kirk, and they were on an Enterprise, so I knew all that. And then yeah, I got no, this, that would make sense, dad, yeah. Yeah, so the pieces were there and I kind of knew what they were. And so my dad had this one VHS tape of Star Trek 3. I remember like the cover had the poster art, something which Blu-rays don't mm. do, which really annoys me about this, the Blu-ray release. They put this uh, a very cool looking, you know, it's like the Star Trek arrowhead with like, you know, the text and then cool like publicity photos of the crew photoshopped in. It's not, I just want the poster. Just give me the poster. But anyway, that's a different brand. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it had the poster artwork and it had that CIC video, like purple and black, like fan stripey like stuff going on in the background yep. of the video case. Um, yeah, the very, yeah, yeah. And I think <laughs> each film had different colored stripes. So I think sorry, it was like purple and like Rathacan hmm. was like gold or something. But yeah, um, watch the hell out of that. 
And I remember around that time, like, you know, 89, 90, 91, whenever the other films were on TV, I would get my dad to, um, to tape them for me. So I'd be like, oh, Star Trek Four's on TV, cool. Uh, one's on TV, cool. I remember it took ages for me to see two, though, for some reason. I really don't know why. And what's even weirder, like, if my dad, like, like didn't tape it or something because we didn't have a tape that was free, I would actually do an audio recording of it. I would get a cassette, a portable cassette player, one of those ones like you'd plug into a Commodore 64, those big chunky ones with a big mm. speaker on, sit it next to the TV speaker and actually record the audio of whatever Star Trek movie was on TV. <laughs> I would listen to it. So it was the closest I could get. But eventually I would get, you know, the VHS, uh, I'll get them recorded off, off, off the TV. Um, so I'd gradually start to build up, you know, what I'd seen. And in terms of the next generation, um, it was just weird little nuggets of stuff that I would see. So, again, we're looking at sort of 89, 88, 89, 90 sort of time. Um, I remember seeing the first sort of toys in Toys R Us. I'm wondering, what's this like Star Trek Generation thing? I don't mean the Playmates toys we got in the mid-90s. I mean... Around 88, 89, there was like Galoob, I think, made a bunch of Star Trek and Next Generation Oh, yeah, they toys. did. Yes. What? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember those? Yeah, they were, because um, uh, they, they were kind of had the license just before Playmates kind of picked it up and, and yeah, went with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Galoob were kind of the first ones to properly successfully do some Star Trek license stuff. And then Playmates just kind of expanded on that and did even better. Um, yeah. I remember seeing those in like, uh, I was growing up in Leicester um, in those days. That's where I'm from originally. Um, and I remember there was a big Toys R Us in Leicester. And I, mainly I would go there to look at Transformers. Um, mm. But I remember like knowing that, you know, knowing I liked Star Trek and there was these Star Trek called Weird Looking Toys of Next Generation. And I think I did vaguely know there was a new show called, ne called Next Generation. But I remember seeing these very small, they're only about sort of original Star Wars, those sort of, you know, original mm. Star Wars toys, Kenna toys, about the same height as them. And it was like a die-cast Enterprise D. It was a bit crap, but it was pretty cool then because there wasn't really anything else you could get a toy of, Star Trek-wise, like ship-wise. Um, there was that. And there was also, like, probably the thing I remember the most was the DC comic series. Because in those days, and it's not really the case now in the UK, but um, you, just like news agents would have a selection of American comics. Um, we had our own com comics, um, like Beano Dandy, Judge Dredd 2000 AD, all that kind of stuff. Mm. As well as Marvel UK made a Transformers comic, and I used to get that like crazy. G.I. Joe, where the Action Force um, over here. There, Maybe had Sonic comic. the Comic, which had its yeah, own like, origin story for Sonic the Hedgehog, which actually yeah. is still to this day the best origin story for Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I used to get that as well. Sonic the Comics is very cool. Um, but mm. yeah, we had our own comics, but they'd have, they'd have a selection of American comics like Marvel and DC. And I remember seeing, mm. like, I think I, I picked it up when I saw it, like, number, I've still got it, uh, issue two of, of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, which I think was dated, like, like October, like, 89. Um, and I remember seeing, I remember seeing that comic, and I think around the same time my dad got the first release of Encounter at Farpoint on VHS. So I finally got to see the show that all this random stuff, marketing stuff, that we got before the show was shown regularly in the UK. I'm, I'm, I was able to see it because um, I guess they figured, well, they're getting the videotape so we can just tell, you know, release the toys and the comics and everything. Mm. Um, I remember watching it and I kind of thought it was a bit crap. Um, I don't think I enjoyed it that, <laughs> that much. Didn't like Captain Picard. The story wasn't that good. It was quite boring. Um, but I still watched the hell out of it because, again, you had a limited amount of like 
VHS tapes and you're a little kid, you know, you can't go and buy them. You're not an adult. You have to yeah. get what your parents get. Luckily, my dad was a Trekkie. And also the fact that my dad worked in a video shop. Um, he worked in HMV in Leicester, in, uh, in Oxford Street. He was the resident DJ on the in-store radio station, which is kind of a crazy story in itself. Uh, my dad was the DJ. So when they played music and, you know, and everything in mm. in the um, the store, he was the guy doing the, you know, who would talk in between the songs. And, you know, do it. And it was oh, nice. like a real radio station that HMV used to have. But the great thing yeah. about that was he would get first dibs on VHS tapes and stuff that they would show, that they would be selling. Um, and also even rental copies of stuff he would get hold of. Um, but yeah, so we got like um, Encounter at Farpoint. I think this is when it was released in 89. Um, and yeah, we watched it. I, I, I think my dad watched it. I don't really know what he thought of it, but I watched it loads over and over and over again. And that was about the only episode that I had for about, well, until BBC started showing it. So I didn't yeah. see the second episode, The, the Naked Now, until uh, BBC showed it. Uh, so there was a year probably between me seeing the pilot um, and seeing The Naked Now. So weirdly, I was quite well warmed up to The Next Generation by the time BBC was showing it. And I remember being very confused with the DC comics because there'd be this dude that kind of looks like Riker but has a beard in, in, in the comic. <laughs> and I didn't know, you know, that later on in, as a, you know, when he got to the second season that he would grow a beard. And then also yeah. like, Eventually, I saw the second season, probably again on when BBC Two was showing it. I was like, "Oh right, that's that's this, that's that was Riker." Um, so I think <laughs> I kind of would skim through the comics and not really listen to pay attention to the characters' names, you know. Um, mm. So yeah, so it was weirdly seeing the comic in the late and like literally eighty nine, the DC comic, and uh, one episode of, of uh, the first the first episode and random toys and stuff. I mean, is that anything like what you remember with? How that sort of uh, stuff started for us. So interesting. I, I didn't start until it aired on BBC. My father was also the one who introduced me to Star Trek. But right. he was not a Trekkie. Oh, that's he, interesting. He wasn't even into Star Trek. All it was was I recall playing in the living room with some toy matchbox cars. Uh, just playing with those on the rug. And my father was just sat on the sofa with his newspaper. And he's kind of looking and going, oh. There's a TV show coming up that uh, that you might like, Alistair. It's uh, it's about spaceships, and uh, and he switched cool. over to it. Yeah, it really was and, about um, spaceships. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And because um, I mean, obviously, I, you know, Star Trek was still in the public consciousness in terms of like he'd know about it, and he just he knew me enough to know that I would be interested in it, even though it's not really his thing. And I just remember being completely transfixed, you know. Yes, the, the plot may have been dull, but for me, I was just blown away by the sets, by the ship, by the effects. Like, I, I was just, I just remember kind of my jaw basically being open the entire time watching it and just going, this yeah. is the best thing I've ever seen. You know, I mean, it completely beat everything else that I've been watching up until that point. I mean, for me, space was kind of um, like Super Ted with yeah, Spotty exactly, in the yeah. rocket and stuff like that. We didn't, yeah. you know. Um, and I wasn't and if really... you maybe caught the original series, if you caught it randomly on a BBC repeat, you know, and yeah. that nothing like Next Generation would. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I remember that I did like watching things like, um, like Book Rogers and Battlestar Galactica, but I yeah. don't know if I saw them before or after uh, Star Trek. Um, I think I saw Land of the Giants before I saw Star Trek. 
remember Land of the Giants and Time Tunnel as well. Uh, yes. Weirdly, shows that were sort of, you know, alongside the original Star Trek that came out. Yeah. So my yeah, dad was into so, those. Yeah. 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 Sci-fi always felt like it was, it was always old shows. You know, Star Trek was like the first proper, you know, this is current and brand new. And I think that's why I was so blown away by it, because it just looked so much better than anything else that I'd ever seen on TV. I don't think there was any sci-fi on TV, really. Even no. in the, I mean, People think the 80s is quite a progressive, you know, when lots of cool shows were on, like advanced sort of shows, but there was no science fiction at all, right? Star Trek didn't start off everyone going nuts to making sci-fi. In the 80s, mm. there was absolutely nothing. And the idea of, of being like a, a sequel to another series was even more news. Now it happens all the time. You know, you got like Walking Dead as a spin-off and like Battlestar Galactica, the reboot had spin-offs and Stargate SG-1. That was really unusual. The only show that I remember that did that, in the, even in like going into the 90s, was I remember there was this uh, Western show called Bonanza that was quite famous in the 60s and 70s. And I'm not into Westerns, i never watched it, but I remember in the 90s, <laughs> They made Bonanza the next generation. I mean, God, they've literally ripped off like the Star Trek idea of having something <laughs> called the next generation. And that was literally a thing. And that was the only other example I could think of. And like I say, now it's um, it's very common. But yeah, nothing looked anything like it on TV. And I remember when I, I remember watching, I remember like literally being sat by, I think, yeah, this is a weird like single memory that I remember of, I think getting ready for school one one morning in like the summer of 1990. So I was thinking I was still living in Leicester at this point and eating my breakfast, um, I think, getting ready for school. And I remember the advert on BBC Two came on saying advertising the next generation is going to be starting next week or something or, or, or in two weeks' time. I don't know how long ahead they often put this stuff, these teasers. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking consciously, oh, well, I've seen the first episode, so I'm going to, I'll skip that. And I'll, I'll just wait for part for the second day of episode. And he got to the second episode. Um, and I remember being, remember how amazing it kind of was to see the same people that I, I've watched to death on this one VHS tape of the first episode <laughs> that I'd watched doing other things, like seeing, like going on another ship, like cause they obviously do that on that second episode and all the funny little, the episode's kind of silly, isn't it, when you think about it? But I remember mm. being like, wow, this is like overload. I could, they're doing other stuff. It's not just Q and, and, and like the saucer separating and like the weird, like, you know, glowing crap at the end with the tentacles. It was, it was different stuff. And um, I, you know what? I don't even, I wasn't even, I, I can't remember even then. Again, this is obviously 1991 going into 1990, mm. going into 91, you know, it's 92. I don't particularly remember sitting down and making a point of watching every on Wednesday or Thursday evening. I, I think it was on. Um, I think, I, I, but I think I, I watched it semi regularly. Um, so, because it's weird. So the reason I, I, I think that is because when I started watching it hardcore, like real hardcore, like I'm going to effing watch the hell out of this now. That was when it, uh, my parents got Sky in 1994. And, oh, and you it, lucky blighter. It was absolute Star Trek heaven at that point. <laughs> the next generation was on every day. I, I couldn't, it blew my mind. I was like, it was on every day on Sky One at five. I could watch friggin' whole seasons in a matter of weeks. Um, yeah. And it hadn't finished its run by that point. It was still being shown as new episodes on Sky One on, on, on Sunday evenings, uh, yeah. Monday evenings. 
Because um, and this was the annoying thing because I I had just the terrestrial yeah. four channels. I didn't have yeah. satellite. So um, I mean, I I was I was definitely that person who would always tune in every Wednesday for Next Generation, and yeah. it ran um, as far as Best of Both Worlds. Yeah, and then it stopped. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it went off the air after that, and I remember it being such a long wait because that's when Sky One got the first one rights, and they got first yeah. one rights for DS Nine and for Voyager, and um, so it was this really sort of annoying thing. Where I mean, that's that's to be honest though, that's when I found out more about the original series because they started doing reruns of the original series yeah, whilst they were waiting right. to get Next Generation back. So that's when I was introduced to that. But yeah. as time went on, you'd have magazines that would report all this new stuff that was going to be coming down the pipeline because it was already coming out over there and we were having yeah. to wait. And yeah. then I'd have to wait even longer or I'd have to buy the VHS as the yeah, only way was... to stay on touch. Yeah. Stay um, on the, top VHS even. Types, the VHS types weren't massively delayed from, um, I mean, I think obviously there was about a year and a bit before we got our first one in 1989. But after that, there was a constant like like every other week or something. They released a you'd get two episodes on a tape, which is probably for like any like zoomers that are listening. That's kind of <laughs> mind blowing, probably that you'd have to pay like fifteen quid for two episodes. But yeah, that's what you did. There was two episodes that would come out. I think it was literally on a constant flow in the UK, like every two weeks. So I don't think there was any unless you remember like a video club or something. I don't know if there's any subscription thing. I know in later there years was. there was. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know if there was for next generation. I definitely did for DS9 and Voyager. I do remember um, those being available then, yeah. Yeah, um, I remember signing up and they sent me the... They, the I, I was trying to sign up from a certain uh, video and they sent me the one before it, which I already owned. <laughs> Uh, right, I went to yeah. contact them going, you know, can, can I can I have the, the, the other one <laughs> that's yeah. out that... That, that, that's the one I want. I don't, I don't want this one. I've already got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. So, yeah, you'd have mm. to wait. Like, there'd be, a new, there'd be a new, like, two episodes every couple of weeks. So I think at one point, we were only about a few months behind America showing them first. Um, so if you mm. had, if you, if you, if you were, you know, obviously we get wheel kids, we couldn't, we didn't have money to buy these things. Um, and my parents weren't interested in doing it for us either, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, um, even though my dad was a Trekkie, yeah, I don't think, you know, money went on other things and he, you know, mm. we weren't, he, he didn't want to get a huge collection of those VHS tapes. And to most of it was more me that would get them when I got older and I had my own money. And I was still, yeah. living, still living with my parents. But yeah, the VHS tapes weren't that far behind. But TV wise, I, I seem to remember it as, oh, I think, and I think this is wrong actually from what I've read subsequently. Um, I seem to remember as we hit 1992 and they showed Best of Both Worlds Part 1. So literally up to, you know, Mr. Wolf, fire, and then cutting to To Be Continued. And that was it. And, th- and then they said, oh, um, we're no longer showing Next Generation. Uh, next week is the, uh, the original series. I seem hmm. to remember that happening and being really pissed off. I, think I, I remember having to wait a while. Being, like my jaw dropped at the end of that episode. Um, mm. Yeah, and I, there wasn't. I, I didn't have. I wasn't getting any magazines at that point that had the. You know, this is what happens in the next episode. Kind of good. That, I'm glad that I didn't actually, because it would have ruined the like, Starlog. Would have completely ruined ruined every step trek for me if I got it. If I got it every month. But um, to be honest, in those days, I was buying video game magazines. I wasn't really buying TV 
magazines, you know, like like Empire ma- ma- magazine or you know Cine Fantastic or any of those ones that would cover Trek. There wasn't a Star Trek Monthly then either. Obviously, that's a magazine that's been going for years now, but um, that hadn't started yet. That wouldn't start till a few years later, and I would get it then when it started. But um, yeah, and then it turns out, yeah, like you say, um, apparently they did show part two on BBC Two, but I don't remember that. Um, but I did, just, I did see it. I definitely saw them do yeah. part two, which uh, you know, from what I've read, was like May. Yeah, yeah. From maybe I saw part two and I was just pissed off that they were showing the original <laughs> series, but it, it was fine. So it, Ended up that I ended up loving the original series because I watched the absolute crap out of that. Yeah, um, when that same. came on. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, it was Sky. It was because of Sky, wasn't it? They got, they got the rights. Mm. Um, mm. But he had to have Sky, so I'm guessing he didn't have it at that point. No, no, I I, I never ended up with Sky. I um, I was terrestrial the entire time, and then. Um, you know, it, it wasn't until, you know, like yourself, it was just as you get older, you were able to start affording VHS tapes. And yes. my God, I had a lot of them, um, which my mother found recently. She, she's she got them. And she was kind of like, you know, do, do you want these and stuff? And I'm like, I, there's <laughs> no way I'm going to be able to afford. Well, the, the, the problem's got, we've got multiple problems here. One, shipping them to Canada is going to cost yeah, a, an yeah. arm and a leg. And then there's nothing that will play them. Yeah, and they're Ow. not yeah. worth enough to even sell. So Yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, so it's like either recycle, find a, a charity shop and just donate them. I, I just, you know, the, there's there's not really much value to, to the old VHSs. Not when you've got all the HD remasters for exactly. next generation well, available on streaming sites. There's just no collectability yeah. to, the, to the VHS anymore. No, I mean... But, um... Go on, Al, sorry. Uh, yeah, but one thing I will say is that I've been to a few shops here in Canada, you know, that, yeah. that was, you know, thrift shops and things like that, and, and found their VHS tapes. Right, and yeah. the artwork is terrible. It oh, looks really, really yeah. bland. There's nothing to it. The covers that we had in the UK just looked so much more interesting. The, uh, the ones in, in North America... It was just basically the same promo shot for the of the cast. Um, that just didn't seem to be, and it was like a grey box as opposed yeah. to black. Yeah, it, the funny thing is about the UK ones. I actually thought they were kind of a bit lame because the Next Generation and Star Trek ones, the Star Trek ones, the original series ones, which they started releasing them on VHS around the same time as TNG. Um, I the the Star Trek original series. I remember them being just basically the Star Trek carrot font you know the Star Trek mm. logo and just um like a, a, a still from this from the episode were uh, in front of like a transport room it looked okay it was fine but nothing mm. i was like oh my god so cool like a like movie poster art i remember next generation being um like a cast shot and i used to think that cast shot was so funny because they would keep the exact same cast shot i think it's a painting someone painted for the video cover. yeah yeah it was yeah it's like picard at the front they used it a lot didn't they in other marketing as well but as yeah, the years like went to the by, left and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right to the left, and as the years went by, they just like like airbrushed it and just added more junk onto them to make them look more like they did in that particular season. Like the next season, they'd paint a beard on, but they didn't really change Riker much. So he still looked like babyface Riker with a with a bad like <laughs> beard. Nothing like what he would look, look like. And they had to sort of put Pulaski in and then mm. take her out again and put Crusher, but she got had different haircuts. So they had to sort of mess with the haircuts. 
And it was again the same image, but just with like people photoshopping like the crap out of it or just painting over it probably in those days. Um, but yeah, I don't, um, yeah, my, my family didn't really go berserk getting the, the, the videos. Um, and probably by the time we got Sky, it didn't really seem necessary because, yeah, like I said, it was an absolute Star Trek Wonderland. Um, when we got Sky One, I mean, Sky generally was cool. I mean, just for people that don't know, Sky was like the, it was like cable TV in America. It was like a ton of extra channels on top of the four regular ones that everybody got. You had to pay for it, of course. And it had Simpsons. Had the Simpsons. It had brand new Simpsons. I mean, BBC got Simpsons later on as well. But, you know, again, Sky just managed to bag all the first run rights to all the cool stuff. Yeah, it was basically they marketed Sky in those days on on FA Premier League football, um, Star Trek and the Simpsons. They were the three things that are used. Um, And yeah, yeah, when mum and dad got it, it was great because Next Gen was on every day at five. Um, there was like a kids like program called the DJ Cat Show on before that. Hopefully, people in the UK listening probably remember that. That's Sky One, DJ Cat Show, and then straight after that, uh, Next Generation every day from five till six. And then there was a show called Games World from six till half half six, which was literally a video games show every day. So obviously, <laughs> we had Games Master, which was once a week. Actually, around the time Star Trek was on TV, actually on a Wednesday mm-hmm. evening. Remember, I had to record Star Trek and I'd watch that. Then I'd watch Games Master Live. Um, that was kind of the ritual I remember as a kid. But anyway, so there was Games World and then The Simpsons um, from seven till eight. So you'd have that was three hours. You just literally plant yourself in front of the telly oh. and just watch the hell out of it. And so that was the first time yeah. I watched the entire run of Next Generation. So there was tons of episodes that I didn't know about that I first saw the first time on Sky. Um, and yeah, I was just like, this is freaking amazing. I loved it. One, one thing that's, that's confused me is that I, I'd seen most of TNG, if not all, well, I mean, there would have been a few episodes I hadn't seen. Plus, there's, there's episodes that we had that were cancelled. Yeah. Because uh, like uh, The High Ground, um, yes. which had uh, stuff which is, is actually getting pretty accurate now. They had um, a line about the reunification of the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Yeah. And that's supposed to take place in, what, three years from now? Um, I, yeah, I don't know if they're actually doing Are they doing a full-on reunification? I'm not sure <laughs> I, they I, are. But... Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that back then there was, th- there was a whole load of terrorism going on at the time. Yeah, and, absolutely. And um, that kind of... Stuff. Yeah, well, it also suggested that terrorism can be successful. So the BBC were like, nope, we're not showing that. Ireland were like, nope, we're not showing that. Yeah. So we, we didn't get to see some episodes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and some of them like conspiracy and the Icarus factor, they were cut for violence and stuff. Uh, but I remember seeing most of, of it and I, I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, memories can be warped, but I am pretty sure that I saw the series finale, All Good Things, long before we saw Star Trek Generation in cinemas. But from what I've seen, the BBC didn't finish airing Next Generation until 1996. But yeah, that movie came right. out in '94. Kind of bizarre, and, isn't it? If you weren't keeping yeah. up in any other way. So yeah. I must have been getting the TNG videos. I must have been getting a lot of those around that time, because that's the only way that I will have seen the finale. Because I remember being really excited about seeing Star Trek Generations because the show had ended for me, at least. The show had ended, and it's like you know, this is the next thing. Obviously, it was in magazines and everything. Um, I think they were the first movie to actually have a website as well, if I recall. 
Yeah, I think it was. I think you can still go on it as well. I think it's still live. I don't think what it's you... there anymore. Uh, Space Jam Archive. certainly is. Yeah, yeah, Space Jam, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe with Archive. That would probably be the only way. Um, but I remember that I was so excited to see it. My father arranged for friends of his whom I'd, I'd maybe met once before, maybe twice. Um, they, they went to the cinema and took me with them just so that I could see it in the cinema. Oh, cool. You know, which was, which was neat. But yeah, it's, I, it's weird because when I think back, and it's harder when you've seen so many episodes so many times over and over. But yeah, I, I, I find it bizarre to think that it was still running for another two years on BBC after the movie Generations. And yeah, that would have run it up straight until First Contact. Yeah, that's that is interesting. I mean, by that point, obviously, you know, I'd already had Sky for a couple of years, so I, I was, you know, it was a lot easier for me to stay up to date. I do remember, so we got like Sky in sort of late '94. Um, so TNG had finished in the states, but I do remember catching literally the last three or four next gen episodes. So like Preemptive Strike and like Emergence, and and then all good, all mm. good things. Might have been more than that, um, but I think it probably was just those last sort of three or four. I remember catching those on their on their premiere on UK TV, which is on Sky One. And again, I think this was like on a Sunday evening, like eight o'clock or something. Uh, it was either a Sunday evening or a Monday evening. I can't remember, but it was like eight o'clock. It wasn't like a, uh, any earlier than that. And I, but I do remember when it got to the last episode and they were showing that on Sky. That was a that was a big deal um, for me personally, and for and for like my family actually. I think we we all made a point of watching it together. Um, you know, live on Sky when it first got shown. And I remember being kind of um, quite emotional at the end of it because it is a really beautiful end to the series. Mm. Um, and yeah, I remember like, because I was like, you know, 11 years old, I think. And, with you know, TNG had been a thing in my life for, oh yes, it was like 89, really, in terms of it being a thing that I knew about and watched. So yeah, um, it was literally something I'd grown up with, and um, seeing it for the first time. I think I taped it so I could watch it again, like you know, <laughs> uh, loads of times. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, I remember being, uh, I remember, remember watching that last episode, all good things, when it was first shown. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, obviously it was bittersweet because you, Deep Space Nine was on as well at that point, um, and I hadn't really watched a lot of that. Um, it's funny because I watched. Um, Red Letter Media, you know, YouTubers that, um, that I really mm. like. I think Al, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, yeah, I, I love the uh, Mr. Plinkett reviews of the Star Trek yeah, movies, especially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's this great episode where Mike uh, talks about what it was like seeing Deep Space Nine for the first time, and he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, so I kind of watched it, and I caught like I, I can't remember if I watched that entire first episode, but um, it was kind of weird because everybody was really grumpy and angry and everything was dirty and people were shouting at each other. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I like this. And there was a bit when Picard, every time Picard was on or a Next Generation bit was on, I was like, oh, cool. Well, this is a bit I can enjoy. Um, and then there was a bit when the Enterprise actually leaves. Um, it sort of moves away from the docking pylon and, and, and goes. And Mike was like, oh, I was watching, I was like, oh, don't go. Don't leave me with don't don't, don't leave me with all these weirdos. Or not play with you guys. Take, take me take me with, with you. And I think that was kind of how I felt, you know. And then obviously to be honest, it was I think it was like when they started showing it on BBC two around ninety five, ninety six, that I started watching Deep Space on thinking, Oh, it's actually kind of good. Mm. Um it was it it took a while for me to get into it. Um and uh yeah, then I went nuts on it when, you know, it started becoming more more readily shown you know you could watch it every you know every single day because they would do that with the other series on sky one they would eventually 
they would get through a run of next gen at five every week though then they'd go on to deep space and i mean there was enough episodes you know released because not the whole series hadn't been done then um they would go on to that and then later on voyager you know and so forth but i don't think they do it anymore i don't think they have the, the rights to a lot of this stuff these days i don't even know um but yeah um and um yeah i remember watching that last episode and i think like I would. My dad would pick up sporadically odd little episodes on VHS. I remember he got the Spock unification episode. Um, mm. I remember he got that, as, but he got it like a big rental. Like remember, like VHS tapes in the UK, the rental versions are in bigger boxes than yeah. the regular sort of sell through. I think is the term. Uh, there was a place that I. Well, where, where I lived, there was a there was two video rental stores. One of them yeah. had the really big chunky. Uh, plastic boxes, and the other yeah, one yeah. just had regular cassette boxes, yeah, uh, which was really weird. And but the regular one was the one that I went to, so it was always kind of weird going to the other video stores. Like, why did they have these really cheap? Because they 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 felt cheap. They they felt like they would they would crack a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the artwork, which is probably why good. they were there for the rental. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, we were sort of talking about the artwork. Oh, it was always the yeah. art was always better on those larger ones. Well, the. Oh right, because the, the the when I went to the the rental store that I would always go to, you got the original artwork. When you went to yes. the other video store, which was just a little bit further walk away, which is why I didn't really go there, um, they just had a generic. It was a it was a larger, thicker box, but it was brown, and it just had the the company's uh, name on it. Oh right, right. Um, so oh. you never so you take the video home, like the movie or the TV show. Yeah. And you never got the artwork. You never got the blurb on the back. You didn't get to enjoy that part of it, which is also another reason why I loved going to this this other place, which was smaller. It had fewer titles, but um, yeah, it was always just a better rental experience. I remember one example um, really pissed me off was when I remember being super excited about Star Trek Six coming out, available to rent. Oh, I, God, I, I, there were so many trailers for that as well. Yeah, but, like, I, I used to see that on TV a lot for it. Yeah, I remember my dad got, um, I kind of mentioned it called briefly already, then we trailed off a bit, but the, the, the Unification, part one and two, my dad got mm -hmm. that as a separate uh, feature length, like. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if that was box. the feature. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask if it was the feature length version because initially when it was released, it was in two parts, but then yes. they did do a set of just the, te the TV movies. So you yes, would have like right. Best of Both Worlds and. Uh, unification and and um, and all those all as that like fully uncut like seamless. Yeah, um, it was like one versions. one length. Um, yeah, basically he so got that. Um, yeah. As I say, my dad worked you know uh, the biggest video you know selling place in the UK HMV. So he had he had contacts that would get him rental copies of stuff, and he managed to grab that. And I think I, I, we saw in like the various media you know, like entertainment, like E sort of stuff that we get bits of in the UK that there was Spock is going to appear in Next Generation. It was like, oh my God. I think like the stuff like that would be in the papers, you mm. know. Uh, I remember like reading in like the like Daily Mirror or something that in the next Star Trek film, Kirk is dying and being like, oh my God. And I read that in the paper, you know, weirdly enough. It was that <laughs> big of an important thing for the general public. But mm. um, yeah, we got that video, the Unification Part 1 and 2, and it had the trailer for Star Trek 6. I think I knew already there was a Star Trek 6 coming out, because I'd get the odd magazine, and movie magazines would have, you know, whatever new films coming out, Star Trek was obviously going to be mentioned. And on TV as well, they'd be like, what new films are coming out show or something would, would, would be on. Um, 
And I remember seeing the trailer, and I, I, I was too young to go and see it. It was 91, I think, that came out. Um, I was already in, I was into Star Trek, so I wanted to see it. But it came out the following year. Because in those days, it took like a year for a film to come out to rent, let alone mm. buy. Um, and I remember renting it. And um, you got a really nice box that had like the poster artwork. And then I remember like the bit that pissed me off was like when it became available to buy separately. They used like the alternate poster, which is just like a weird face Klingon forehead with the Enterprise sort of warping past it. And it looked that, that was always that was always yeah. the uh, like the go to one for me because that's the one that I yeah. recall seeing on that VHS. Yes, that's right. That was the one that was on the regular one you would just buy in the shop since forever, I think. Mm. But the one that was on the rent one was the other poster, which was like a cool sort of shaft of like beaming like energy with the three faces that like, of light. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, they're kind of stacked one on top of the other, yes. aren't they? With, um, with, I think, is it a warbird he- heading to it or something like that? Yeah, like a bird of prey, like flying into yeah. it, shooting the Enterprise is getting light and is there as well. Yeah. It just looks cool as hell, like a, like an awesome poster. That was on the rental copy, so I was kind of annoyed that I was like, uh, why are they using quite crap sort of on it? <laughs> but then, but then like, like the, the artwork got a lot better because, like I said, Ne- uh, next generation would be kind of that sort of generic picture of the crew with a little still from the the episode that's on the tape or episodes. And then um, when we got to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, you got this really beautiful hand painted. Um, it probably had did have some like digital stuff done to it in that point, but um, pretty much hand painted. Like I think the Deep Space Nine VHS had like the wormhole with a bit of Deep hmm. Space Nine come out of it, and it had like it would have like. Um, either a face of a character that's the main focus of the episode or like several little faces and they just look beautiful and then voyager would have like an awesome sort of shot of uh, the voyager itself um doing whatever you know it did in that episode like i remember mm. like the first you'd episode, have like a, yeah you'd have like yeah. a picture of a planet or you would have like yeah. a Borg sphere and sometimes you would have like a semi-transparent version of one of the character's faces yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, you, you know that would still be superimposed in there somewhere. Uh, but yeah, DS Nine and Voyager definitely had the better artwork of um, all the Star Trek shows released on VHS. Though talking about trailers, there was a trailer that I remember on yeah. on the um, the Voyager and DS Nine tapes, and it was yeah. advertising Voyager. And and this oh, is one right. of those things where it's it's almost kind of like okay you can you might be able to excuse it if it was like a TV commercial, but these were commercials these were trailers on official Star Trek VHSs and so there's this one episode and it's talking about Tuvok and Chakotay and I don't know I can't recall which episode it is but the voiceover names them uh, as Tuvok and Chakotay. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I didn't look this completely, stuff up they it. Yeah, completely butchers the pronunciation. And nobody at any point went back to them and said, that's not how you pronounce it. The names you know, are probably there was the no footage. The, char- the characters probably speak the names as well in the trailer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, this is like, we're, we're talking like the later seasons, like season five or six. So it's yeah, not so like this was like just the, for the, the first season. This was yeah. the show was established. Yeah, and we're hitting like the two thousands nearly by that point. You know, so stuff is pretty you know well oiled and they know well. You would think they know what they're doing, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, there you go. Two walk and Chakatai. 
you know, yeah, oh, uh, it's always stuck with me for some reason. It's always stuck with me, but it was a, oh, it was terrible. I just, I, 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 I didn't know how to process that when I was younger. <laughs> when I started getting older, yeah, I'm obviously boy just started on Sky. I remember watching the early sort of seasons of that, and um, and now I would watch, you know, you know, um, when there was a new episode coming on on Sky, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Deep Space Nine, I kind of got into later, and I think by the time it was weird, because I remember like, um, as I say, sort of ninety five, ninety six is when I started watching Deep Space Nine because of BBC Two. So I think mm. it was around the second season. I think I actually started watching it, and then I got the the pilot emissary um, on VHS. I actually bought it, I think, for like, some money, I think pocket money or something, and I bought it uh, in like a video shop. I had like a wall, literally an entire wall of Star Trek, because by that time we were hitting like four TV series and six films. Hmm. So you could like, there, that much had been released by that point. I was just like, I would drool over that wall. I'd be like, it would cost you thousands of pounds to buy all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, and I, so I got to pick out one piddly sort of video from this video award of like, you know, I want that one. And I got that episode and I remember watching the first episode. So then I was kind of like, right now I get it. I've got the whole context. And then I got into it. And then simultaneously season four was starting on uh, sky. And obviously, you know, we know how awesome like season four of big space nine is, you know, Worf coming on and Cisco again, a lot of the best star Trek stuff is related to some kind of facial or head based hair thing going on. Um, and obviously Cisco got shaved his head and grew a goatee and became like a complete like beefcake at that point. So yeah, I was just like watching like the hell out of it. Um, so I was kind of watching season two and, and four simultaneously in a weird kind of way. Um, but it, it, it worked. Um, and um, yeah, it was just, I think around that time I started getting Star Trek monthly. So that was probably the first time aside from the occasional issue of Starlog. Um, which, like you were saying, like if you read something like Starlog, you would obviously that would be telling you about what's current in the US. So mm. I remember getting an issue of that and seeing all the friggin' awesome, not just the episodes that were coming up, that for us were years away, um, or at the very best, like a 15 quid video, if we really wanted to, if we were desperate to watch it as soon as we could. Um, but also, like the cool like model kits, and but we didn't get any of this sort of stuff. Um, Cool little trinkets and like there was one. They always had plates. There was always a selection of plates, like a really nice, like a plate with a really that you'd put on display, like your oh, grandmother yeah. would have on her cupboard of like the Queen. <laughs> There'd be Star Trek ones of like a giant Picard face on a plate. There'd be always be like six pages of that on, on, in Starlog. I was like, who buys this? Yeah, if, if, yeah. And if you went to, <laughs> um, you know, if you were, if you were like go on eBay, like it's it, they're still there on eBay. There's still tons still of those. Get them. And there was like yeah. a terrible model kit of Spock aiming a phaser at some kind of weird alien. And even though as a kid, I was like, why would he be doing that? What con what is this story from an episode? Like, even as a little kid, I'd pretty much seen all of the um, TOS. Like, I, I would watch that show, you know, I, I recorded every episode off BBC Two. And um, with my dad's help, because he wanted to watch them all again as well. And I watched the living crap out of them. Every night, I would watch. I would watch two or three episodes of the original series for about for in about for about two or three years every night guaranteed. There's only 79 episodes, so I literally watched like I've seen probably seen every episode of TOS about at least eight or nine times, probably more than any other series, uh, yeah. possibly because it's easy because there's less episodes. Um, to tell you one thing that BBC did well though, yeah. was when they did Star Trek Night. Oh God, yeah, I used to they, love they, those. 
they they did a they did a few of them um and i've just managed to find one from 1996 which is the one that i remember most um, i remember two yeah i remember 96 did jonathan ross uh, jonathan ross did the other one which was uh, five years later because that yeah because yeah, that was the 35th anniversary and then for yeah. like the 30th anniversary they did uh star trek night was hosted by craig charles from red dwarf yes. Um, yes. and so he did like this whole intro to that, and then they did like a quiz show to boldly go where no quiz has come before. It was the premiere of Voyager, it was. wasn't it? It was. yeah. Yeah. yeah, they uh, so they had a right bunch of stuff because, yeah, because it started at 7 15, yeah. and there was a whole bunch of different stuff like documentaries and interviews, and there was a spoof trek thing and stuff. Um, and then yeah, at 10 50 in the evening, so 10 to 11, I remember staying up late for this just to watch the pilot episode of Star Trek Voyager. Caretaker, yeah, I, I think was... I watched it anyway. I had it on VHS. I remember <laughs> I that, was, that was that yeah. was my first time seeing it. Was uh, was that was uh, oh cool was Star Trek night, and then um, and then I remember that the like the one with Jonathan Ross. I, I wasn't it like Star Trek Four that they showed as like the the big end thing because uh, I know that they showed Trials and Tribulations from Deep yeah, Space Nine. Four, yeah, I think it was early four, in the day. Weird. Yeah, yeah, and then they had like they had like a, a a vote for like the best episode of you know for each of the captains and stuff and then uh and then they kind of trials and tribulations um uh, that would have been that would have been 97 that that didn't come out to 97 maybe in the 2001 star trek night they did that yeah um, yeah, well, that, I that's yeah in that yeah so in that 2001 one with the with jonathan ross yeah they had the uh, trials and tribulations and then they they also had um that's when they did Star Trek for the voyage home as as a big movie, that was, was there. did they show Endgame, the the last episode of Voyager? Was that that night? I mean, I do remember they did a preview no. of Star Trek Enterprise, and that was the first footage I'd seen of it. I knew there was by that time I was like absolutely my berserk on Star Trek still at that point. Um, yeah, and Enterprise was when it was starting to get online, so there was trailers like yeah. the teasers from um, yeah because it was it was UPN originally. Yeah, that were doing that in the US, and so the, you'd have these teasers where it just it, it was just a star like a um, like the warp star streak with it just sort of mentioning like before Kirk, you know Picard, Janeway, and Cisco, you know, There's a trailer. Yeah, that we had Enterprise, and that that was pretty much the whole teaser. Probably the only time that they announced an actor as a, as, as a, the captain, where I was like, oh wow, that's wicked! I love that guy. So I already like Quantum Leap, so yeah. I knew exactly who Scott Bakula was. As soon as they announced Scott Bakula, I was like, "That's freaking perfect!" You know, like mm. he would look. I, I, I straight away knew he'd be awesome, and obviously, you know, he was. You know, some people obviously don't like Enterprises. That's again for another episode. But um, yeah, I remember they did show some footage for the first time of Enterprise on that um, Star Trek 2001 night. I think it was just before it premiered in the US, and I think mm. I started watching that on Sky. But I think not long after that, I think I was actually kind of downloading like episodes um, via the interwebs because I think the internet had gotten decent enough, or at least I think when I was at school, when I was in mm. sixth form, I think at that point, um, I was sort of 16, 17 years old, I was using their internet to sort of obtain episodes through slightly non-official means, shall we say, because um, <laughs> they have really good internet there, and I burned them to a CD and take them home and watch them on my computer. Uh, so I didn't really need Sky at that point. Um, that was the first time you could just, you know, use a dodgy, slightly dodgy way of obtaining an episode. Um but yeah, I remember those for those Star Trek nights. They're really even if a lot of it you'd seen already, right? So in, in some cases, mm. in some cases, but yeah, and it's, it's just like it's nice to be able to sort of see 
whatever we want now. We can just go and pick and choose. But there was certainly something about that lead up, you know, and having yeah. an entire night dedicated, you know, to on something like BBC as well. I mean, I don't think you'll get that these days, will you? I mean, no. well, there's, I mean, there's no channel that, you mean, it's in the UK that all of Star Trek is on Netflix. So, you know, but that's not, a, it's not a broadcast, is it? You're just clicking on the thing and it plays. So, apart from mm. documentaries that get made about Star Trek, you know, like Trekkies and, you know, and all that stuff and um, Trek Nation and things like that, that, you won't get anything like that again. But that was, but that, but yeah, but that was really exciting in those days. Um, when we had those sort of things. Um, yeah. So yeah. Let's, um, yeah. Well, let's switch from our short range uh, to our long range sensors. Yes. And, uh, and start picking up uh, Star Trek Voyager Season 2's episode Threshold. Episode 15, I believe. Um, we've already picked up on, uh, we've mentioned Voyager a few times, so I think it mm. seems appropriate that we should dive straight in with uh, That's it. our episode. Um, and, and, and it's it's just easier to kind of get this one out of the way, I think. Uh, <laughs> because, I think that's the best know, way to put it. Yeah, if people haven't seen it, it's not the best. In yeah. fact, it's, it's categorically the worst of, uh, of Voyager. And then at least that's kind of done. Although we do have other ones because uh, the Spock's brain, which is... I kind of so bad it's worse. good, though, in a way. Yeah, yeah it's, that, it's yeah. terrible, but it's kind of enjoyable because it's so ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, at least it has that kind of camp factor bag. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so for people who aren't familiar, uh, essentially it starts off with uh, with Tom Paris, Howie Kim, and Bolana Torres all kind of trying to figure out how to break the Warp 10 barrier. Yes. Warp 10 being the theoretical maximum that uh, Gene Roddenberry kind of established when Next Generation aired. So you can't go faster than yep. Warp 10. Um, but they're nine they is found... as fast as anyone goes. Warp nine yeah. is always the fastest. Warp nine point seven or whatever. Yeah, yep. and they've got um, uh, they found some dilithium that is more stable at higher velocities, and they feel that they can reach this infinite velocity, which would have you occupy every point in space simultaneously. Um, yeah, I mean which... straight away, like uh, one. So one thing, just on, mm-hmm. on what you've said already. It's kind of always jumps out straight away. This dilithium don't really doesn't really get <laughs> talked about much. They, they it doesn't get talked in. about ever again. No, no. exactly. This, that's an amazing thing you just discovered. This new dilithium is the fundamental kind of fuel, quote unquote, of mm. Star Trek. You know, it's been established for de- already for, for the whole thirty-year run of the, sh- the show by that point. Mm. Um, and they've discovered a brand new form of dilithium that can make you go at warp 10 and they're just like yeah so we just saw this we've got this new dilithium and it's like okay cool let's try and go to warp 10 and and they just sort of briefly sort of talk about it in in the mess hall when they're when they're eating and mm. um and neelix then mentions that he's got some biscuits um which we don't <laughs> see really which is a bit disappointing um actually no balana gets them doesn't she? she goes and gets the biscuits and yeah, well, well, he he's wanting to kind of help and and stuff, and yeah. he, he he's he's kind of smart in it because um, he's asking, you know, well, you know, tell me the problem, and I'll, I'll see if I can fix it because I've been an assistant engineer for two years uh, on a ship, and um, and and Balana's like, do you have any food? And he's like, oh yeah, there's some there's some biscuits in in the cupboard in the back, and he's blatantly not getting up. She was obviously trying to get him to leave. And he's blatantly like, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going anywhere. I'm staying here for this. And so she's like, but, but fine, you know I'll what? go get them myself. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? I love those little moments in the metal where yeah. someone mentions like a really human, normal 21st century thing. Like, oh, I need to, I want to have a sandwich. When someone <laughs> says that, you know, he's used to talking about recalibrating the, you know, uh, sensors to filter out delta radiation mm. is like, and that's the usual language that you hear, especially on Voyager, which really went mental with that stuff. But yeah. um, that was a nice little moment for me. Like, oh, wow, they yeah. biscuits. That's cool. That's, that's a little snack thing that people have. Yeah, um, and, and just and just in, yeah, and he he sparks the idea that fixes the problem, which uh, essentially the shuttle keeps blowing up because they think that the nacelles are getting torn from the shuttle, but actually the warp nacelles are perfectly fine. They're going faster than the rest of the shuttle, and, yes. and it's, it's it's the shuttle that gets torn from the nacelles. And so he says something that makes them realize that, and then they they leave, and he's like, I have no idea what they just said, but you know. <laughs> I'm getting I really nitpicky right, right now because that first, the, the teaser, there was already something that kind of struck out of me when I watched it. We re, we, both of us re-watched that in the, in, uh, in the last few days mm. in the lead up to, um, you know, to this recording this show. But something that I know that just annoyed me, and it's really annoying, trekky, nitpicky kind of crap that normal people would, shouldn't care about. But they, they do that first simulation in the teaser and the holodeck... Holo, holo why does the holodeck always completely vanish when you fail something? It should just pause and say, you have failed. And you're like, okay, cool, reset. You have, you have to get rid of the, the thing you're sat on. You have to get rid of the things you're surrounded by to really emphasize the fact that it's like if you lost at a video game, it, your console has to set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that. But anyway... It, 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 it should at least go back to the menu screen. Yeah, we'll just go back to the menu. We'll just, we'll just pause the whole thing, right? So yeah, so yeah. it ends up where the, the shuttlecraft blows up. It doesn't, obviously, but it's just the holodeck version of it. And, mm. it, and, the, and the program shuts down. And then it kind of pans over, and, and Tom Parrish is kind of sitting on the floor. So I'm like, so either he was kind of always on the floor in the first place, or the seat disappeared, and he fell on his ass. It's, I, I, I would always say it was the latter. The holodeck. Yeah, that's that's kind of dangerous, right? You know, <laughs> like if you weren't prepared for that, and it very abruptly stopped. By the way, it wasn't like terminating program in three, two, so you could stand up and get out of the way of the stuff that all like you know, it just like it just like disappeared and he just landed on his bum. You could break your bum bone. <laughs> <laughs> so much for safety it. protocols. Yeah, uh, the, the, anyway, the thing yeah. I I actually had more of a problem with Janeway, who you think so? she. Yeah, Why? she just at, at, at the beginning, because she kind of goes to Tom and is kind of like, you know, proper bigs him up and says, you know, that there's there's people like Neil Armstrong and Cochran and there'll be Tom Paris, you know, as these legendary names because he'll have been the first to break this barrier. Um, you know, so she's bigging him up with all of these great historical figures. And the next day she comes in and says, you can't go because there's a 2% chance that you'll have an engromatic imbalance that could give you brain damage. That is kind of silly. Yeah. So when he says, but this is my flight, and she's like, your flight? It's like, you've just been figuring out, you put the idea in his head that he's the one who's going to be doing all this and that he's going to be the big hero. And then you're just kind yeah. of like, your flight? You know, she gets, that, she gets that seems almost irresponsible. She gets very grumpy and defensive at him, like not, and he's kind of being nice, not putting his life at risk. But he, he probably would want the person that is like done the most te tests and stuff. 
Mm. On this, I mean, with a 2%, I mean, there's probably a 2% chance the shuttlecrafts blow up anyway. I see there's more chance of him dying from ship failure than he is of having something from his engrammatic imbalance. Yeah, there's probably you know. the same chance of, like, you know, having a heart attack or something, or, like, the, the panel blowing up in front of him, mm-hmm. which happens a lot in Star Trek. So, mm, probably okay just to roll with it. Um, yeah, she's a little bit funny, especially as, yeah, she was bigging it up, like like you say, and then she kind of puts a complete dampener on it. And, you know, he does other, he's done other stuff that's, like, you know, has he had this en- engrammatic imbalance forever? Or has it just come up because of these... This warp ten stuff you've been doing just came like, up for uh, that reason, and it's never been an issue since. Never been an issue before. It's just that was the thing. And what did it even do? It didn't do anything for the story. No, it, it didn't. It had was no there relevance. For about a minute, and then he was on it anyway. What well, did all it, it did was yeah. It, it kind of set up like Harry's going to be taking over. So it's like, oh, Harry Kim finally has something to do, and then like, fine, you can you can do it. And so Harry's benched again. Yeah. <laughs> And you don't even get to see how he sort of getting told, now you're going to do it. It's going to be your flight. Oh, it's not your flight. It's Tom's again. Did she even get around to telling him? (laughs) We never saw. Yeah. So you could almost have cut that scene out. It would make no difference. It was just a weird extra thing Mm. put in just to create a little bit of extra tension for no no reason. But the the funniest one of the... the, There's two funny bits for me that are genuinely... And I don't know why these are in there I don't know if they were trying to get a laugh because they're funny, and I think they are funny because you're supposed to laugh. But there's a there's a weird bit where just after like Paris comes back from the warp ten flight, mm. so we're jumping ahead a bit of, of where where we are, but whatever. Uh, yeah, at this point he he does his flight, he's successful, he breaks the warp ten barrier, and then he's he's beamed back onto the ship with seemingly no major like ill effects, apart from the fact he just kind of passed out. I think yeah. Yeah. Um, he passed out. The shuttlecraft finds its way back, which I don't really understand either. It went into warp 10, went off, all occupied all areas of space simultaneously, and then they managed to find it. They searched for like two hours, I think is what Chakotay says. Yeah, and he said that he saw Kazons and Klingons, so he's just name-dropping species, you know, yeah. and, and can somehow remember and was able to process being in all these places simultaneously, and that she saw that Voyager was looking for him, so he pushed a button and came out of warp near, near to them. Yeah, I don't know if it had like some kind of like homing thing in it, so it could just like instantly get back to where it should be, um, or if it, if it went back into warp ten to go back, or if it was flying around everywhere at once it, and it just yeah. like hit the button just right supposed, on the right bit. Yeah, it's just supposed to be him just dropping out of warp wherever he wanted to be, which is and then going you know, back again. Yeah. It's awkward. No, it's not explained. No. He just turns up and he's just he's just unconscious, you know, because mm. of the crazy experience. But then he's on the the sick bed, like he's lying on the sick bed, unconscious, and not particularly, you know, no one's scared that he's dead or anything. I think the doctor says, "Oh, he's kind of just, you know, he's just out at the moment." And then then Jeremy's like, "Oh, uh, can we wake him?" And the doctor says, "Well, let's see why not." And he just leans over to him and goes, "Wake up, Lieutenant!" And just like shouts <laughs> in his ear and wakes him up. I was expecting him to get out like a hypo spray and like zap him with something, <laughs> but he just yells at him to wake up. <laughs> and you kind of laugh at it. And it's like, what is that? Also, like the later on, he, he goes to the mess hall and, and Neelix makes him something called Paris Delight, which he, he finds is yeah. not very delightful at all. And then he, you know, kind of ends up going into shock and passes out. 
and he's bought two sick bay. And, um, you know, and, and so Bolana kind of mentions that he was drinking some coffee by Neelix. And the doctor's like, it's a miracle he survived. Yeah. You know, like those moments. Yeah, they're nice moments, but it's kind of a joke that is already kind of tedious by this point that, yeah, yeah. Neelix, everything Neelix cooks is crap and no one likes to eat it. But for mm. one, if you look at the stuff he makes, I would eat that stuff. It looks kind of nice. And there's some obviously bad stuff, like when he tries to give Janeway that weird coffee that's like gel. Fair enough, mm. that's like ridiculous. But um, well, for one, I'm like, come on, I don't see anybody else cooking with their bare hands, you know? So give them a break. And maybe tell him, like, dude, put some, like, sugar on that or salt, and you'll that'll sort that out. No worries. If you're just literally just accepting anything he chucks at you, you deserve to just deal with it, basically. There is actually a book called Neelix's Cookbook you can buy. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah. Um, it's on Amazon. You can just get it. Um, so, yeah, that's the ongoing joke that coming back, isn't it, about mm. he's really bad at cooking and everyone hates the food, but everyone eats it, whatever. Yeah. And, and inc- incidentally, it's not the coffee or anything that Neelix has made. It's that he becomes allergic to water and then he can't process oxygen and then the doctor realizes that he needs to fill the sick bay with 80% nitrogen and it was like 20% acid dichloride. And that's not a real chemical name to my knowledge, but it's supposed to correspond to phosgene, which was a compound notorious for its use as a poison gas in World War One. You actually looked that up. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that is basically what he was, had to breathe the thing he then dies actually the b- before that is one of the best lines um ever when <laughs> when Paris kind of knows he's about to die although we don't know yeah. if he's actually dying or or if it's like you know gonna, gonna ha- happen and then yeah. he sort of, he becomes like like delirious and there's one bit where he's talking about what his gravestone might look like and he goes yeah here lies thomas eugene paris beloved mutant <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, he, and then, yeah, the doctor says, "Oh, you've become your radioaction. Your radiation levels have gone up." And then, <laughs> Harris says, "Great, now it will read beloved radioactive mutant mutant." <laughs> and that's I love that. really funny. I know. Yeah. And, then, and then he starts going really like he starts talking about his past. He starts talking about how he lost his virginity at seventeen. So suddenly yeah. we've got that as a character trait for him, apparently. Um, and then he starts talking about how much he loves pizza and how he's craving pizza. And then he asks Kes to come over and kiss him. And yeah, which he then, says no. Yeah, and then <laughs> no, he has a thing enough. you know, about how he wants uh, them to talk about him to his father after he's dead. And then he dies. He just ends up sort of being dead. And then there is actually a touching moment because Kes comes over and she does give him a kiss on the forehead. So he kind of got his kiss, which, you, yeah. know, you know, it's kind of, it, it's such a throwaway bit, but it's, it's nice with Kes just sort of showing that sympathy you know, the fact that there was some loss there, but there's still, there doesn't seem to be much distraught, um, ness, for for whatever the word is, you know, she, she doesn't seem to be completely breaking down in tears. It's just like, Oh, he, he's gone. And then then just a little peck, you know, on, on, on the forehead. And it's interesting as well, like the way he describes his father, because that doesn't really, reflect what we see of his father in later seasons. I mean, his dad becomes quite an important part of the show um, when we mm. get to the sixth and the seventh seasons. Admiral Paris um, appears later on, and he seems like kind of a nice guy who's like trying to sort of, 
you know, he's actually actively trying to find Voyager. He's part of the the project that actually ends up regaining contact with them, um, mm-hmm. thanks to, you know, mainly thanks to Barkley. But, um, yeah, he really describes him as, like, being a complete, like, dick to him as, like, a kid. Uh, maybe he was. Um, mm-hmm. And he became nice or something in later years. But um, Yeah, family dynamics can be different, though. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, he might but, be, yeah. But the thing I don't get, and and this is where it becomes really bad writing, which, because uh, you and I, we went to, just as an aside, we went to Destination Starship London back in 2012. And yes. uh, Brandon Braga, who wrote the teleplay for this, uh, was doing a talk there. And he was talking yeah. uh, about his work on Star Trek. And there were two girls that stood up and, and they said, you know, we are huge fans of Threshold. We know that, that loads of people <laughs> yeah, hate it, but we think it's one of the best episodes. It's our favorite. And he goes, you're wrong. That's very nice of you to say, but <laughs> you're wrong. And um, I do appreciate, but, yeah. yeah, I do appreciate that he is at least self-reflective and, and critical of his own work. Because to be a decent writer, you have to be. If you kind of think everything you put out there is great, you're never going to improve. And so he, he knows that there was a lot of mistakes that he made. Like he took out a lot of um, science stuff that would explain things better, what he was trying to do. He stripped out all the parts that actually would have potentially made the episode kind of work. But one of the big things which really doesn't make sense is we've already established he can't process oxygen. He needs to have basically poison gas to breathe. And then when he suddenly comes back to life, he can breathe oxygen. And yeah, he has two really hearts. Explain that. Oh, well, yeah, when he so, came back to life, I was like, God, you got to get that force field back up, dude, and get the gas in. And they were just like, no, he's all right. But well, did yeah. he say it was all right? He just, just carried on, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so he, he's been able to occupy every single, like, like space and time. Not an issue. He's got two hearts. He's basically just become a time lord. So what happened? Yeah, there's, there's, there's that. And there's also like, and when I was watching this, my girlfriend was sat next to me. And I think she was kind of half watching it. And she's also, she's seen all of Voyager. So she's seen it, she's seen it already. She wasn't too interested about seeing that episode. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so um, of all the episodes. But yeah, like um, there's a bit when the doctor says, yes, it appears you have two hearts. And I said to my girlfriend, oh, he turned into Phil Collins. <laughs> and she just looked at me. Because there's a song, you know, two hearts of Phil Collins. Mm. But anyway, yeah, no one laughed. <laughs> she didn't laugh. There's, uh, he, he mutates further. He, his head goes bulbous and things start peeling off. And it becomes evident. A very that, cool effect on the head. A very cool effect with it kind mm, of pumping like a explosion. Yeah. Like, like that's kind of cool. Yeah. The, the, like the prosthetic work is, you know, as good as it always has been. It's very the fly. I was getting a lot of sort of Jeff Goldblum kind of things, um, especially when his tongue suddenly just comes out of his mouth. It's like they had to do it with a space shuttle because if they did it with the transporter, then it would be far too obvious that it was like a ripoff of the fly. Yeah, and then there's a bit when like, you know, around that in, in that scene, I think, when Janeway turns up to try and sort of comfort him mm. and he's still behind a force for the force field's back. Um I guess so we won't we won't escape. I don't think it's because of the air thing. Um and um he starts basically berating Janeway saying basically kind of you're an idiot, you don't understand, you're weak and pathetic and you're like an, an ant to me now. Mm. Literally the next episode there's a very similar scene where Tuvok is behind a force field in sick bay doing basically the same thing. Yeah. He's saying, let me out. I'm going to kill you. You're all idiots. I hate you all now. 
um, meld this, the next day. A very, very good episode, by the way, straight after this one. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of a theme of man shouting behind sick bay force field in season two for some reason. Mm. But, yeah, that was just an interesting observation I made when, um, when we got to that scene. But, yes, um, fly, totally, yeah. Yeah, I think Kate Mulgrew, um, she does have a good reaction because she's really good at a very subtle facial expressions. And she does this kind of look, which is very subtle look of horror on her face, where she lifts her eyebrow like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, you know, and it, you know, yeah, and and it kind of captures what you would expect from a captain, which is this is actually really horrific, but I've still got to maintain composure because I'm still the captain. And so I yeah. thought that was good. But then he starts talking like Kevin from Harry Enfield and Chumps when he's got no tongue. Yeah, that's, that's that's a weird moment as well when <laughs> a bit of his tongue comes out, not like because your tongue is quite long, you know, yeah. it goes all the way down your throat kind of thing, and it, so a little chunk of it comes off. And I love the way when he takes it off, he kind of has a little laugh, like, <laughs> yeah, oops, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. He goes into complete nonsensical gibberish when he's talking about the present and the past is the future, and the future is in the past, and it almost felt like it was just written to sound smart. Yeah, but Bragger was like, I can't be asked to like make some interesting phrasing here. I'm just going to throw yeah, this in there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to fake intelligence and fake make this yeah. uh, this sound smarter than it actually is, and it it's lighting. <laughs> well, well, Robert Duncan McNeil, though, fair play to the dude. He oh, yeah. sold it. It was really well. Um, with the, the crap he was given in that episode, I don't feel like the acting, his acting was pretty, really good. Um he didn't like make it any more cheesy or worse or or more tragic looking. I don't mean tragic as in like being it being so bad. Um, and you felt for him, you know, you did really felt feel for Paris. You mm. you weren't like as much as we're talking about this episode being poor. You weren't just like, well, this is ridiculous. I hate it. Look how stupid everything is. I I, I didn't really feel like that at any point. Um, mm. Certainly not because of it was more the situation as opposed to the acting or anything of Tom of uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah, they, they awesome did. Like, like it, actor. It's, it's the perfect example of doing the best with what you're given. Yes. You know, they, they all at least, you know, they, they didn't kind of go, well, this is shit. We're just not going to put any effort into it. They, they still put their effort into it. They still earned their paycheck, but it was just not the best story for it. Um, and then, and then they have, uh, I don't know how to feel about this because he's, they're, they're trying to get anti-protons from the warp core to Yeah, they whip, they whip that machine up really quick, yeah. like in 15 and a half an hour. Yeah, it's supposed to be like, a machine for that. yeah, she, like uh, Torres says, it's going to take three hours to build just the interface. And the doctor's like, he won't be alive in three hours. You've got one hour. And she's like, okay. And then she just it's done. On. <laughs> and it's <laughs> done. Oh, yeah, so she's going to ask. Yeah, she's going to argue this for sure. She's like, yeah, cool. All right. And just walks off. And, and in the next scene, he's in like this amazing contraption that can do this completely brand new thing they've had to invent. Mm. And it works, I guess. In like well, half an well, hour. He, yeah, but oh. then he breaks away. And this is the thing that I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it because you don't see him actually doing any attacking. But I do also at the same time like that it is all from the Doctor and Kessa's perspective where they're looking at a monitor and it's all off scene and you see you know, people running off to try and deal with it. You see phaser fire, yeah. you hear the stuff, you don't actually see it. But where There's that... two things with that. Well, the um, thing is, he, I, he's I, not changed. He's still like, it yeah. would make more sense if he has somehow mutated worse at that point. Yeah. And you don't see... Are they implying, 
has he developed like super strength? I guess he has. I think that's probably what they're trying to say. He can beat everyone up and he can unlock himself from a huge machine that was holding him down. Mm. Um, again, yeah, that's not really been established or said. The doctors say his strength has increased 100% or something. He just kind of, yeah, does it. And then, yeah, it, it, it works when with just Kez and the doctor looking at the view screen and you're hearing the sounds. But I think, I don't think that was an artistic decision. I think it just couldn't work out how to make that look like something. I would think that you could, hmm. anybody could have just phasered him, and he, unless he's immune to phasers, I don't. I don't maybe he, hmm. he might be. I don't really know. I mean, I can't really say would overpower. A, okay, we don't know how many. If there was a big security detail there, I mean, you know, you would think if the Doctor knew he was much stronger than he normally would be, they would put every bugger with the phaser and like on, you know. But yeah, yeah, and and then we he have, gets out. Yeah, and then and then we have him kidnapping Janeway. Knocking her unconscious in the turbo lift. And then, How does he do that as well? He just kind of, just kind of. He just leaps at her like the doors open, and her? he just leaps straight into the turbo lift. And then, yeah. And then again, everything's off screen, and it's on the bridge with them saying that the, uh, the you know, the shuttle bay door is opening, and obviously the shuttle's going off. And then this is the weird thing: it jumps to warp. They go to try and chase it because, but obviously they can't reach warp ten. And then as it reaches warp ten. They're like it's we we we've lost them. We can't track them. Normally, when ships go to warp, it's not that long before they're hard to track anyway. And so, yeah, even 10, the long range sensors. Yeah, so at warp ten, why why is it a surprise to them that they've lost him? That, and that chase also again another nitpicky, like super trek nerd stupid thing. Hmm. Um, when they're sort of getting up to all oh, the shot across getting to warp 9.5 and they're kind of already like struggling at warp 9.5. Hmm. It was my understanding, and I'm pretty sure it's explicitly said in the pilot by Ensign, is it Staddy? Study? Hmm. The, 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 the person that dies in the first yeah. episode again. So actually, it's not spoilers if, you, if you're watching a show about uh, an episode about the season two. <laughs> that's the first episode of the show I'm referring to here. Yeah. So I don't care if you haven't seen it. You should have watched it. Yeah, she she's the one in the shuttle that takes uh, that kind of gives Tom a tour as they're arriving. Yeah, and Tom tries to crack onto her, whoever it is. <laughs> um, and she's like, oh, I thought Vader's always were warm and sensual. And she's like, I could be warm and sensual, which is really like standoffish with him. Mm. Anyway, she says, oh, yeah, it's got the Voyager as a maximum cruise velocity of warp 9.975. Now, a cruise velocity means you can just go at that speed constantly and nothing will happen. You won't fuck up the... Uh, you won't screw up, sorry. The um, you won't screw up like the warp core. The the, the hull integrity won't disintegrate and fall apart. Um, it's literally a cruise velocity. You can just be at that for as long as you have enough dilithium that's working okay, or, yeah. well, or you know, until it runs out. But they they get to like warp nine point seven and eight, and they're already like the hull is going to fracture and and we're we're going to disintegrate. And it's like no, you won't. You're not even at your maximum cruise velocity yet. A Voyager is really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can go yeah. really quick. My, my understanding is that that's why the nacelles reposition themselves. Yeah. It's partly to maintain that speed. And there's an episode where warp travel damages subspace. So it's almost kind of like yeah. vehicles that, you know, pollute the environment. And it's like, we need to kind of change to greener fuels. Yeah, that was in Next Generation, wasn't it? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it was in Next Generation. So they kind of had that. And it's so Voyager was supposed to get around that problem. Uh, as well within the cells, but no, absolutely. Yeah. It's the the speed thing that they drop down to nine point five, stop the ship from shaking. 
Yeah, I mean, that's not to say that it warp 9.9. If they did actually say, oh, we're at warp 9.75, we'll go any faster, we're really going to like screw some things, stuff up and we'll disintegrate. Mm. Um, even if they did say that to keep in line with what we've already established as what Voyager is capable of, yeah. going jumping from 9.975 to 10 is still like a ginormous leap. Like, it's no, like, warp 9.975 is like an infinity of, of the speed of like, Warp 10, because it's infinity, you know, mm. it's nowhere near, you can't keep up with it, uh, no way. And even like going from warp 9.975 to warp 9.85 is a ginormous leap in speed that needs way more power. And if it, and I don't know if Voyager can even, I'm not, I don't actually know what Voyager's ultimate, I remember in the first episode of Next Generation, like, um, like the encounter at Farpoint, they established that, you know, the Enterprise can get to about 9.7. Mm. And it really starts to struggle. And yeah. like data literally says, like, we can get to warp 9.7, but at extreme risk. For some reason, the first episodes of Star Trek series are really good at establishing the maximum warp speed <laughs> of, uh, of, of whatever ship it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, um, so, you know, you could very easily have, have, you know, been a bit more cleverer with the speeds that they were talking about. God, we've gone way too long about this really ridiculous like point. But yeah, that annoyed. That just just to put it out there, that annoyed me because <laughs> Voyager can cruise at a really high warp speed. That's way more than what they were supposedly breaking down at in that episode. Well, well, well yeah. worse than that was what happened when they start to like the Doctor figures out what's happening and that it's to do with it being natural. That it's natural evolution and that the warp ten threshold just accelerated the process but that's not how evolution works it's not like it's hard coded into your dna and this is how we're no. going to appear it's no it's also to do with survival of the fittest and the environment there's so yes. many other factors uh, i mean one of the things that they were looking at doing was they were trying to kind of give the concept of reverting to a more primordial state actually be an advancement that's yeah. it yeah you know where we actually go back on ourselves you know and stuff but it wasn't explained well at all and that's that's some of the parts where the the writing really sucked and then then of course them beam down yeah it's an interesting concept to go backwards but it's total bollocks <laughs> yeah. yeah because the the way of going backwards is to turn them into giant salamanders Exactly, with little moustaches. <laughs> and uh, Wok and Chakatai beam down, find Paris and Janeway, and they've had little salamander babies, so they've, they've done their thing. Yeah, horrifying, horrifying thing to discover, you know. I do like the line where Chakotay is saying, I'm not sure how I'm going to enter this into the log, and Tuvok's like, I look forward to reading it. Yeah, and then, and, then, and then before that, like, there's another one of these weird, funny, throwaway, like, inadvertently funny lines mm. when, like, Chakotay's like, oh, but which one is oh, Paris? Yeah. Which, one, which one is the captain? And Tuvo says, the female, obviously. And it's like, Chakotay doesn't say anything. He just kind of looks at him like, why would you even say that? That's obvious. Like, yeah, because normally if you're talking like dogs and stuff, it's like, okay, well, now I've got to look at genitals to figure out which is which. And right there, you've kind of got your pilot and your yeah. captain. You really want to look at Janeway's junk, you know. You need to now look at their genitals. It's, it's such a weird thing for Tuvok to mention. It's a weird thought. Especially at his age. Yeah. But, and they're not massively horrified no. by what they've just stumbled across. Well, they do, they do kind of look at each other when you see the babies come out, which obviously the realisation of, oh my God, they've just like basically banged. 
Um, this is an yeah. awkward situation. Um, yeah, they don't really, you don't really get a lot of time to sink in before we kind of, the, the reset oh, button basically gets smashed. It's you know? smashed so quickly because, um, and, and, and I think part of the yeah. problem with this episode is they're trying to do a high concept thing within 45 minutes and it there is not yeah. the time. So as soon as they get them back to the ship, that you know, which you never, you don't even see them really doing that, but they just appear on the ship and they're magically restored. You know, they've, they've fixed the DNA and they're, they're perfectly fine. Yeah. And they also don't seem that traumatized. I mean, I, I kind of like what the Paris, where he's saying that, you know, he thought that by being famous for breaking the walk 10 barrier, it would make people respect him more, but it was more of an outside thing and it wasn't fulfilling for him in, internally. Um, there is something there, but it was just so rushed to get to that point. Yeah. The way they talk to each other is kind of like, they're quite joking about it. There's no kind of grossness or, yeah, there's, there's no kind of like, this is awkward about no. what happened and kind of traumatizing. You know, we may have to deal with this. If I turned into a space salamander and, and shagged like someone that I worked with, and they were also turned into a salamander, and we had salamander babies, and then I got turned back, I'd be like, "Really? You'd need like major counselling." <laughs> I know. After that, that's like a weird like situation. I know Star Trek. You know, your your stuff. Obviously, you kind of you know you kind of expect weird stuff to happen, but that is probably off the. No. There's no training for that. <laughs> you know. But they just brush it off, and it's just kind of like, and next week we're back to normal. Except for two rock, but we're back to normal, you know. Yeah, and and like the funny thing, and there's another like funny line, which is where like um, I think Paris is trying to sort of maybe sort of like apologize for perhaps trying to like cracking onto her when they were both salamanders, and Janeway says, "Oh well, for all you know, the female in some species, the female starts the mating mm. ritual." It's saying that you know it could have been me that sort of cracked onto you, so. And and they just kind of are very jo jolly about it. I mean, they're not laughing or anything, but. There's just no impact. There's just no impact at all. No consequences. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just like smash the reset button. Like when massively, when there's so many questions that should be left. But you know, I don't. I don't, I don't know where to go. The, 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 I, didn't, yeah. I don't know where there's, they could have gone. Yeah. There's it. not even that kind like, of well, pensive moment. Like there's there's certain episodes where, um, you know, like at the end of Best of Both Worlds, when you've got Picard. And he just, you know, he seems like everything's back to normal. He's fine. And then he just sits and you just, you can sense that there's just that weight and that trauma that he's dealing with, that he's not showing the crew. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's literally... There's none of that. Yeah. He literally, like, uh, he sits down, I think, or he might even be standing up, and he looks out the window mm. of the, the ready room, and he just about to take a sip of his uh, drink, and he sort of stops halfway. As if the, we just realized that, you know, what has happened to him, like he's basically killed him, like, yeah. thousands of people. And he just puts the cup down and just stares blankly. And that's the end of the episode. You know, there's, there's kind of the music goes a bit creepy yeah. for a second. And it's done really well. Yeah. Um, there's nothing like that. It, it just kind of goes into a jolly end of episode jingle and then like, <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bizarre all round. We've been going for an hour and a half now. So I, I think... Uh... Uh, that that probably just about wraps it up for our first episode of Long Range Sensors. I think it does. <laughs> Threshold, God. We did it, though. It's out of the way. It's done. It's done with. We, 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 we can move on. It, it only gets better from here. We can hit the reset button. <laughs> we hit the reset button. Yeah. <laughs>
We're doing it right now. Oh, well, well, thank you everyone for hanging out with us and please let us know how we did. We'd love to know your thoughts and we look forward to being able to make many more of these shows in the future. Um, we have a few ways that you can get in touch. You can reach us via Twitter at Star Trek LRS. Uh, you can go via our website, longrangesensors.com, or you can even email us directly at longrangesensors at iCloud.com. We've also been setting up a Patreon page, which hopefully should be ready by the time this episode is out. Uh, basically, we have some great plans lined up for things that we want to be able to do as the show grows. So if you see value in our show and you would like to help support us, you can do so over at patreon.com slash longrangesensors. And of course, if you want to help, but you aren't able to contribute financially, that's absolutely fine too. If you enjoy listening to the show, then please tell a friend, share it on social media, transmit it to a loved one via subspace. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to share our content and goes a long way to help our show reach even more people. My name is Alastair, and you can find everything I'm up to at alastairmcfly.com. You can follow me at imcfly on Twitter. And if Twitch streams are your thing, you can also check out my channel where I stream Minecraft, Among Us, and alternate between some classic Star Trek and Star Wars games over at twitch.tv slash McFly. Trev, where can people find you? Yeah, um, so I've been Trev, and you can follow me at Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter. I have another podcast. Uh, we mentioned it at the beginning, but if you want to find it, um, it's actually called Console Shock. It's about retro and modern video games. And uh, that's on YouTube. You can just search Console Shock on YouTube. Uh, I've got a website, consoleshock.net. Um, it's also on uh, all the podcast clients, so Stitcher and iTunes. Um, and yeah, that's all of my stuff. You've been listening to Long Range Sensors where warp 9.975 is fast enough.